Welcome to Happy Hour, part of the family of shows on the podcast network, it's NewOrleans.com. When you walk into a bar in New Orleans and pull up a bar stool, you never know who's going to be sitting on either side of you. What you do know is, no matter what they look like, what they're wearing, whether they just got out of a limousine or out of jail, they're going to be happy to talk to you, because that's New Orleans. And this is Happy Hour, cocktail feud, 60 minutes of random conversation with folks who have nothing in common other than we're all New Orleanians in a bar. Today, we're at Wayfair on Ferret Street. Wayfair is a restaurant and bar serving handcrafted food and spirits where they put fine dining into a sandwich and fine booze into a glass. Three-hour happy hour every day from 4 to 7, Wayfair on Ferret. I'm Paul Sanchez. I'm guest host today for Grant Morris. And I'm here with Sarah Wagner and Robert Bruce. Sarah is an Ashtanga yoga teacher as well as professional aerialist specializing in aerial ropes and silks. Originally from Texas, she made her way up north and discovered her love of circus at the New England Center for Circus Arts. Upon completing the professional track training program there, she began performing and teaching all over the country. Last year, Sarah moved to New Orleans from NYC and is in love with New Orleans and all the amazing people here. She currently teaches at Ashtanga Yoga Room and LA Motion and performs with Vaude de Gras as well as Cirque Copine. New Orleans, first all-lady circus. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks. And uh, my other guest is Robert Bruce. Robert is a native New Orleanian. Graduated high school in 1980 from Ecole Classique. Began washing dishes at Andrew Martin's Cajun Cuisine and spent three summer breaks working for his mentor, a French chef by the name of Roland Hewitt at Christian's, which was a great restaurant. I'm so sorry Christian's is gone. He got his associate's degree in culinary arts at Johnson & Wales University. Attended Florida International, graduating with a bachelor's degree in hotel restaurant management. He's got an 18-year-old son he's very proud of, Rivers King Bruce. Your work history, Robert, is a who's who of uh, the Nuts. finest chefs in New Orleans, <laughs> from Joanne Clevenger, Emeril Lagasse, T. Martin. I mean, my, if, if there's a famous name in New Orleans, apparently you worked with them. I have. I have. Well, I can't wait to eat your food sometime, man. <laughs> I'm telling you that right now. Well, welcome both of you, and um, I'm excited to do this today. It's my first time hosting this show, and uh, I like meeting new people. So we had a chance to chat some before the show. I wanted to uh, first ask you about Ashtanga Yoga, which is the thing you teach. Mm-hmm. The focus is on, it's a very physical yoga, correct? Yes. Motion? Um, it is, I mean, the... Yes, it's a very physical form of yoga is initially how people, you know, see it outwardly, but um, it's really more of a meditative and um, breath-driven form of yoga because, um, like I was telling you before, uh, there's no... There's no music, there's no, except my studio's above a bar, so there is music at night. That's New Orleans um, for you. Yeah, just filter that out or just enjoy it while you practice. But, um, but yeah, it's really just you learn the series um, one-on-one from your teacher and you um, build on that practice. So at first you're kind of just doing as much as you remember, but then you start to sort of come up to poses that are hard for you and then you have to work through that before you move on but it's not like um you know I feel like a lot of modern yoga is like do this if you feel like it or like (laughs) just you know like feel your bliss or whatever and it's um it's not like that it's much more um just going deeper inside I believe and like having to confront those 
you know, internal blocks. Your studies with yoga took you to, at first Vermont, but your teacher there uh, eventually had you go to India. Yeah, I, uh, um, I lived in a really small town in Vermont, and um, the t- our teacher there, she actually taught a really great, she actually taught a really fantastic class that had music and stuff like that, too, a vinyasa, like, a, you know, it's called vinyasa flow kind of classes now, but um, she's just an example of someone who is really well-educated, and, you know, her foundation is Ashtanga, and her classes were, like, art classes, kind of, so then she kind of, like, took some of us aside and was like, I'd like to show you this other form of yoga, and she taught us that series, and then she just encouraged me to go to yoga, I mean, to India, and I'm sorry, I have a um, I talk really quietly to you. Um, she encouraged us to, me to go to India, and I did. And I'm not, not really sure why, but cause, because you do have to learn this set series. And I was still on the plane, like looking at the chart, trying to remember the series because I couldn't remember it. And it would, and you just go, and you're in this room of like a hundred people, and you know the guru of the type of yoga that I was trying to study and. I couldn't. I didn't want to be like, uh, what's next? <laughs> How long did you study so, in India? I was there for two months. Yeah, and I'm planning to go back again actually next February, too. Now, did the circus lead you to yoga, or did yoga lead you to the circus? It kind of happened at the same time. It was like, I feel so indulgent talking about my, myself so much. Um, <laughs> I'm like, well. Um, Get over it. I, <laughs> um, I, had, I grew up as a dancer. And then um, all during my 20s, I kind of was just like a, I focused more on visual art. And I also had, you know, it was like, I went to like noise shows and hung out and stopped doing physical. Nobody did anything, you know, physical other than play music. And then I think I just kind of realized, had a, like in my late 20s, had a realization that that's what actually makes me happy. And that is my form of art. So then when I lived in Vermont, there just happened to be a circus school there. And I thought, how cool, I can dance in the air. And, and, then, I, and then I had that great teacher who she also had, you know, a dance background. And it felt very, just felt like I came alive at that time. And nice. Yeah. And you're an aerialist. Mm-hmm. Trapeze or rope? Uh, silks and rope. Silks yeah. and rope. I kind of have done, dabbled in trapeze, but... I'm not a fan. <laughs> it's a different different thing. High, uh, how high off the ground do you work? Um, preferably ceilings that are 20 to 21, you know, 20 to 25 feet tall, but often low. Yeah, it's not. It's not really. It doesn't really matter to me how high it is, because what you do on it is you're sure of yourself. So you know, you trust, you're trusting your own strength and your knowledge and stuff like that. So it's not like you're just hurling yourself around and then, you know, and at a high height, but. It's uh, similar to what uh, Robert and I were talking about. He's a chef and we were talking about that being in the zone of, of, of your work, of your, the bliss of your work. Yeah. For you, it's that moment of being in the air. You don't think about the height. For him, he's got he works at uh, John's Steakhouse, and they're going to turn over 70 tables a night. 140 yeah. tables are going to be served in a night. And he's occasionally taken by the scope of the amount of meat, both on the grill and waiting to be up there. Mm-hmm. But he said he can't give in to the moment to even like take a photo of it to post on Instagram because the flow has to keep yeah. going. He has to stay in that moment, in that flow, in order to get the food out. It's a rush. It's a rush. It's a rush, big time. Especially when you see all those people walking in, sitting down, Yeah. you know. 50, 60 people sit down, and you know that in about half an hour, you're going to be feeding them. 
And you can't make any mistakes. It's got to be perfect. Do you think that you, do you think you feed off of that energy? Oh, I love it. I love it. I've been doing yeah. this since I was 13 years old, so it's been about 40 years. So I have not given up yet. I like that it's a, that you describe it as a rush. I mean, that's as a, as a songwriter and a singer, that's the thing for me is it's a rush, and I'm sure the yeah. same for you when you're in the yeah. air. I mean, I'm also, a, I'm also a waitress, too, so I know that theme. I mean, I keep going back to that because, I mean, I know it's different than being a chef, but it is that same kind of, like, onslaught of energy, you know, yeah. and it's hard to have a different job, like a sit-down kind of job after that right. because you're, you're, like... Well, you're used to the rush. Yeah, you and get, moving and thinking fast and, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's exciting. It's yeah. exciting. I wouldn't change it for anything. And you knew early on. You knew from. I started washing dishes when I was uh, like 14 years old or 13, and I loved it. Worked for this old black chef. His name was uh, Andrew Rayford. And this was a place called Andrew Martin's Cajun Cuisine. It was out on Causeway, uh, like 76, it must have been. And it was. It was a, a rush every night, just getting your ass kicked, basically, you know, washing dishes, trying to keep up with it, working with strange people, um, and then <laughs> learning how to prep food. And then all of a sudden, you realize that you're learning how to cook and clean crab meat and peel shrimp and all these things that you didn't know yesterday. And you can use that in your daily life. You know, that's the best thing about being a chef is that I know how to cook. Did your family cook? Like, well, my grandfather, uh, my step-grandfather's name is Willie Maley, and he was the chef at a place called Maley's Restaurant, which is now where um, Happy's is on Poitras. Mm-hmm. And it was there for 120 years. So wow. when, I was, uh, when I was in high school, I also washed dishes there for a while. So it, it's not really in my blood. My dad's a, an engineer, um, but I just got hooked on it early, and it was hard to get out of it because it's easy money, it's fun. You know, the hours are kind of rough, but um, it's it's challenging every day. I mean, there's never any same old, same old in the restaurant business. Other than your schooling, because your schooling was out of state, right? Right. The there re- wasn't anything here back in 1980. Oh, really? Very different oh, now. Yeah, right. So Johnson Wales was available. There was Johnson Wales and uh, CIA. But when you graduated, you came back, and you've always cooked in New Orleans? I did, yeah, since 85. My first job was sous chef at Upper Line when I came back. And then um, I left there, and I was a uh, line cook at Commander's. And then I became sous chef there with Emeril. And then uh, it goes on and on and on. I've worked in way too many restaurants, 40 to be exact. Whoa. That's, yeah. It's nuts. <laughs> That's wonderful. Though. It, it, it really has been exciting. I mean, I wouldn't change it for anything. But I know if you... So I spent nine years at Smith & Walensky, which was um, where Maley's was. And um, that was the best because I felt like I was at home. Mm. because it was a family restaurant that Smith & Walensky purchased. And that was my first venue into steakhouses, which was kind of hard to deal with at first because I came from fine dining where, you know, you walk around, you got the tall hat, you're the man, and nobody sends anything back. But in a steakhouse, Mm. you're in charge (laughs) because you're the one that says how you want your food cooked. You can send it back, and you can get another steak if you want. So it was hard to to stomach at first, um, but... The reality is that steakhouses are a very efficient way to feed people. And the money is good. You know, I mean, the, 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 the value is there. So, like, if you do a fried shrimp po' boy, there's a lot of effort that goes into a fried shrimp po' boy. One may not think that, but there is, because you're talking about produce and bread and seafood for $14. A steak, you know, it's a steak on a plate. Give me your money, 45 bucks. I mean, it's, it's, people love steak. Well, not everybody does, but a lot of New Orleanians do. Even during Lent, we've been busy which blows my mind. That brings me to my 
one of the questions I did want to ask. I find, since the flood as a lifelong New Orleanian, that certain traditions have less weight than they once did. Um, Mardi Gras doesn't end on Tuesday anymore. It continues until people get tired and leave town, essentially. It's not as much about the religious significance of Fat Tuesday as it is the party. Lent, when I was a kid, New Orleans was a predominantly Catholic city, and Lent was a pretty serious deal. Now, Catholicism isn't as serious as it was in 1965, and there's an influx of new New Orleanians who are not predominantly Catholic, and Lent has less weight. And I was, was wondering, that's one of the changes you've seen, is that more people are eating meat during Lent. But, in, I mean, you've been cooking here for your whole life. Clearly, there's an influx of new kinds of chefs, of new kinds of oh, yeah. culinary skills since the flood. Yeah, it's exciting. Did you really you like it? I love it. I, I think it's great because I went to, you know, I, New Orleans is old school and people love old school. Mm-hmm. Galatoire's, Antoine's, mm-hmm. Mr. John's. I mean, our food is pretty basic. But I went to this event Sunday night at Paradigm Garden and it was an uh, outdoor uh, pizza, wood burning pizza oven right over on uh, Rampart by the causeway, I mean, by the interstate. And it was hosted by uh, Encora and um, Belgard Bakery and um, Coquette and Mobar. And it was awesome because this, this is a young chef's thing. Because the older guys, we don't think about that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but it was really cool. And it made me realize that I'm getting old and I need to kind of re-engage with the younger chefs because I want to keep up with them. I want to know what they're doing and where they're getting their produce. And, you know, because what's happening now, you can see them all around Central City. There are these little gardens everywhere. Mm-hmm. And people are, chefs are getting their produce from these, well, not the bulk of their produce, but all their herbs and some of their greens from these gardens, which I think is great. You know, instead like, of getting it from California. I like that your curiosity about what they're doing comes from a sincere passion for cooking as opposed to any sort of sense of competition. No, not at all. It's, it's because I want them to succeed. You know, nice. I mean, I, it, it blows my mind. So just to give you an example, um, I worked at Commanders for like five years. And I worked with Emeril and Jamie Shannon. And Tori was one of my sous chefs when I worked there. And he's the chef there now. And what he does now is totally brand new stuff. And Commanders is old school. But T allows him to be cutting edge, which I think is great. Nice. Because they ha- you have to. Because those younger people that are moving here to go work at the University Medical Center or, they expect. She's very innovative. Oh, yeah. She's a very right. impressive person yeah, and awesome. uh, restaurateur. Now, now the, the whole new New Orleans thing, I, I wanted to ask you about as well, Sarah. The circus, I, as far as I know, I mean, I, and, I, and, and I'm old now, but I was once young and plugged in, and I don't remember this sort of new... It does, it's not burlesque, but it has the costumes of that, the old reviews, mm-hmm. like burlesque shows do, the sort of 20s look. The circus that you're in, Vaude d'Orleans and Cirque Copine, those are sort of new in the last 10 years since the flood, right? Oh, definitely. So Cirque Copine is um, within, they're both within, well, Cirque Copine was started last spring. So it's really, it's very new. Like there there are a few of us, my friend uh, Ari, she's been here for, um, I'm not sure, but many, many years after the flood, but she's been here for, I want to say like five to seven years I mean that's, that's I know that's not I know that's still like not you know but for someone in their 20s that's still pretty like 
you know, a long while compared to everybody else. I have, a, I have a, a dear friend who's a, who's a playwright named Jim Fitzmorris who just had a successful run with his show Be a New Orleanian. Yeah. And he talks about the fact that growing up in New Orleans prior to the flood, he sort of was had rules about what made you a New Orleanian. Yeah. Post-flood, he said that all changed for him because anybody who loved it enough to want to be here was a New Orleanian for him. Yeah. And then he listed a series of things that would make you an official New Orleanian, <laughs> like being arrested by the police for being drunk <laughs> and you're handcuffed on the curb waiting to be put in the car and somehow talk yourself out of it, you're a New Orleanian. <laughs> I read it. There's like a John Goodman quote I read that was like, some people move here and they feel like there's like a piece of themselves that had been missing yeah. that clicks into place. And I really feel like that most people I know who live here live here because they feel that way. It's not just like another place to live, you know. Or a hit place to live or something. But, yeah, so so Ari's been here trying to, like, cultivate a community for a while. But then um, people who have, like, uh, prior aerial experience have been kind of more um, in the last couple years, I think. So she and the other co-producer, Liza, um, started that this summer. And, um, yeah, and it's just there's just been a crazy response. I think people are just wanting that it feels right here and we really all of the productions also Vaude de Gras um, is it used to be called Cirque de Gras and it's kind of evolved into this different um, production but we all involved all different kinds of artists so live music um, you know painted sets from local artists it's really a group effort of of this community which is just this crazy vibrant you know, and what kind of venues do you perform in? Um, well, with Cirque Copine, we performed. We wanted to be kind of a roving sort of performance, so we're open to performing wherever. But this summer, we performed outdoors at, um, have you ever heard of uh, Bywater Wonderland? It's, um, it's this beautiful Victorian mansion um, owned by um, this woman named Stacy, and she puts on like different parties and events. Wonderful. And, yeah, it was so beautiful, and we have an outdoor aerial rig, and people. It, the performance started at the front of the house, and people traveled with us through the yard and and um, and to this the the rig where they took their seats, and we had a local chef, the chef from Mimi's, that you know other chefs worked with us and provided food and. And, um, you know, local uh, bartenders coming up with specific cocktails for us. So really trying to involve everyone and making a more, you know, a rich performance for people that way. Um, And then Vaude de Gras uh, is at, it was at this amazing theater called Happy Land Theater. Um, And that's in, I'm really bad at remembering street names and stuff, but I think it's on Burgundy. It's in the, it's in the Bywater and it's um, from 19, it's from the early 1900s and it was a vaudeville theater that's pretty run down. Um, and but so beautiful like there's the original posters from the 1920s hanging in the rafters and just the structure of it's gorgeous and we turned it into our our performance was supposed to be like a vaudeville performance um, so we were kind of trying to bring it to life as a vaudeville theater for the audience nice. yeah and they're an amazing you should look them up there um, they have a fundraiser coming up this Saturday to try to restore it to a, to a venue that can you know, serve the arts. Where's the fundraiser? It's, it's called, it's, it's on Burgundy, and it's called the Happy Land Theater, but I can't remember the exact address. Okay. Um, where, could, <laughs> where could people find out about the fundraiser? Um, on Facebook. Um, there's an event. Um, 
I can look it up when you guys are talking. I'll get more information on my on my phone. I'm really bad at promoting things, but um, we'll put but, it on the side. Yeah, that'd be great. But yeah, there's gonna be you know not just circus performers, but magicians and musicians and just like you know I think all of us are interested in. It's a very unique circus scene here. It's not the same. Like I think um, what I've encountered before is that. Um, aerials tend to be kind of isolated to just aerials and circus-focused performances, but just because of the environment here, all the artists just are working together to create something very specific to the feeling of here. Nice. Um, which is exciting and exactly what I want to be doing with circus. So, um, yeah, this is definitely my dream spot to be making art. <laughs> I, you know, that to me, as an older artist, that's one of the exciting things that developed after the flood was that Initially, an influx of young people who came to gut homes and help renovate became an influx of young creative people who realized rents were cheaper here than they might have been in San Francisco or New York yeah. or L.A. And then it became an influx of people who were no longer worried about the economics of it but were concerned with the infusion of energy. Mm -hmm. And it's artists of all types, circus performers and I think new chefs and new certainly new singer-songwriters, which New Orleans wasn't known for before, more of a, of a jam town. And I like it. I mean, there's, there's been some changes to the culture of the city, but change is the nature of, exist or the, you know, is the nature of existence, and I like what people are bringing to the, yeah. to the mystique of New Orleans. And I, th I mean, I think everyone has that concern of like not wanting to change it by moving here, like wanting to be to enrich it, and because, like you know, I know I didn't move here because the rent was cheaper. I moved here because it felt like it feels here like you can be completely free and joy. It's so joyful, and you know, it just feels like nowhere else on the planet. And I. I don't know. I just I think that's why most people live here, and hopefully, I am hoping that that will keep it the same. Um, a friend of mine once said that New Orleans is a great place to figure out who it is you want to be. After you figure it out, what you do with that is up to you. Yeah. <laughs> and as far as it, you know, changing what New Orleans is, I I really feel like the the young people or the people that are moving here are doing so in part because they believe that New Orleans has a certain sense of mystery and poetry and magic and they want to touch it. Yeah. And to me, those people carry with them mystery and poetry and magic. And when they touch us, they enrich us with their own poetry and magic. Yeah. You, you enrich the mystery and magic and poetry of New Orleans by being a circus performer living here. That makes the city suddenly more exotic to me as a New Orleanian, knowing that there's an influx of new kinds of circus performers that are attracted to the city. I, I find that to be, well, part of the mystique of what we've always been. Yeah, I mean, I, ho I really hope that, I hope so, and I feel like um, I hear people say often just, you know, that the city's changing, and I, I just want it to be, I, you know, I, like I said, my brother lives in Austin for, um, you know, he lived there for 20 years, and he actually moved here because it changed so much. And I saw that too. You know, the complete fabric of a city changed to a different city, and I think we're all concerned about that. And I, and I want it. You know, I think it can be positive. I think changes, or you know, evolution can be okay. Um, we're going to come back to that in just a second. Sorry. I just want to say that Happy Hour is brought to us today by Basics Swim and Gym, a full range of fashion swimsuits, workout, and yoga clothes with style. 
Basics Swim and Gym is on Magazine Street near Jefferson Avenue, under heavy construction, but worth the trip to get to that part of town. Also by Hangover Destroyer, the only all-natural product medically proven to prevent a hangover. Go to the Hangover Destroyer website, hdestroyer.com, write happy hour in the coupon code and get 30% off Hangover Destroyer and seize the dawn. So thank them for their help. And yeah, man, uh, Austin certainly did change over the years um, as a huge fan of what Austin was and what watching it become what it's become. I sort of have the same take, is that as a New Orleanian, and maybe you'll agree with me, Robert, we were lucky to have grown up here, because you're in your 50s is like I am. We were lucky to have grown up here at a time when shipping from South America was still abundant. And if you lived close enough to the river, you could smell the bananas in the air when the ships would come in. Mm. You could smell coffee and chicory down in the CBD where it was still brewed and canned. And it was an exciting sort of sensory overload, vibrant time of being a New Orleanian. And in my opinion, the old world charm and the decay stayed with us longer than it did with most cities in America. New York became more modern more quickly than we did, as did Chicago, as did Los Angeles and San Francisco. And somehow New Orleans stayed so incredibly rooted in the past. And it took the flood, flooding 80% of the city and uprooting 80% of the population for us to move into this century. And like any New Orleanian, I certainly do get romantic about things that I miss. I had them. And I accept that I was lucky to have them for as long as I did. And I'm excited about the changes that the new cooks bring, that the, the new possibilities bring, the new art brings mm-hmm. to the city. Even though I'm an old artist and the young artist probably won't look twice at me, I'm excited for what they add to art in New Orleans. You know what I mean? Like, same thing with being a chef, I'm sure. You know, you, you have your cachet as, as an established chef, and they look at you in that way, but they, they probably don't look at you as an innovator. Right. Right. Same, same for yeah. me as an older songwriter. But I'm okay with that. But I'm, I'm okay. okay with that because they have a lot to learn about what innovation right, means. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I was wondering before when you were talking about um, seeing that the chefs coming in are using you know local farms and stuff to source their ingredients. Mm-hmm. Is that something new, or do you think that's been a part of? It's it's new. It's the, new. Um, you really haven't seen a lot of that in the last thirty or forty years. I mean, I'm sure back you know hundred years ago everything yeah. was local. Uh, but since um, what I've noticed since Katrina is that the restaurant groups are more chef-driven, mm-hmm. um, like what Donald Link has done and Adolfo Garcia and uh, Don, John Bash. And, I mean, those guys have really stepped up since Katrina, basically, and they're chef-driven, and they can f- kind of form this conglomeration of farmers and planters that can grow stuff around here, you know, across the lake. In the city, in the central city, it's just amazing what's what's happening. So yeah. it's very exciting to me, as opposed to the old school restaurants, which you know I admire, the Galatoires and Antoines, but they're not doing what these younger guys are doing, that are more chef driven as opposed to uh, business driven. Mm-hmm. But I have one comment about Austin. After Katrina, we considered moving to Austin. Unfortunately, I mean that we were thinking about leaving. Yeah. But we went there, and my wife and I, who both from New Orleans, we're like, there's no way. There's no way we could ever leave New Orleans because it's such a great place. Yeah. And you know, you got to be from here to understand it. I love Austin. I've played there many times over the years. 
And when the flood happened, I had a, a, a guy say, hey, man, I, you know, I can get you gigs here right now. You can work all the time. Yeah, everybody loves a songwriter in yeah. Austin. And I asked my wife, and she said, I am not living in Texas. <laughs> I am not going to be little darling for yeah. the rest of my life. Smart girl. Smart girl. <laughs> and, you know, as, as liberal as Austin is, and it is the most liberal city in Texas, there still is that bit of, you know, Texas swagger to uh, yeah. the way the male-female dynamic operates. I can see that. Yeah. She was called Little Darling one too many times on the road. But you're <laughs> called so many sweet talk things here. I guess it just has a yeah, but, but here it's not sexual. <laughs> like here, a man is as likely to call you baby as a, as, woman. As a woman. That's true. You know, like I call my friends male or female. I say, hey, baby, how you doing? Yeah, totally. I feel yeah. I, I'm into the sweet talk. I love it. I worked on, uh, <laughs> back in the 80s, I worked on a movie called Miller's Crossing, a Coen Brothers movie. Yeah. And there was a person on the movie, a woman from Chicago, and she said one day she just started cracking up over drinks she said i just love it here the cops call each other baby <laughs> they, they hug each other and call each other baby i just love this town i know it's just so like you just get to be i guess I, when i say like there's a freedom it's like a freedom to be soft too like i don't know just coming from like right when i moved here from new york i like got on the um street car to go somewhere and i was just like you know you know perfunctory like hey how's it going or whatever and she was like the dr- woman who was driving it was like, girl, I have had a day. And then she, t- <laughs> she like, started telling me about it. And I was like, I love this place. Like, you, when you ask someone how they are, they want to know. Right. About, or like, if you ask for directions, they'll show you the way. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and, like, you know, you, it's so easy to get to know people because everybody yeah. has that spirit. Yeah. When I was in my 20s, I moved to New York to try and, you know, be the next Bob Springsteen or Bruce Dillon, whatever I could do. And uh, <laughs> I lived up there for a few years. And, you know, you get... You get caught up in the vibe in New York really quickly. It's intense. Yeah. And so I lived up there for like three and a half years, and I moved home. I bought a 1977 LTD so I could pull a giant U-Haul full of stuff, right? And I drive 27 hours home, and I stay at a friend's house on Bienville who lives right next to what is now like a pizza place, but was back then Shirley's Po' Boys. And Shirley's had been around forever. I used to eat there when I was driving a truck. So I get in like, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning, and I pull my LTD and my U-Haul, taking up most of Shirley's parking lot and collapse on my buddy's couch thinking I'll move it in the morning. Well, I wake up later than I thought I would wake up because I had a long drive and all. And I look outside his window and I see Shirley out there with her big old beehive hairdo and she's a big heavy lady and she's out there hosing around my car. And after living in New York for three years, I thought she was going to be furious. And I run out there and I'm still in my underwear. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'll move the car right now. And she just, without even batting an eye, just goes, that's all right, doll. And if they don't like it, they can park around you. <laughs> I was just like, oh, man, I'm home. That, I know. I really had the same experience. And, like, the first few months I lived here, I realized I kept feeling like I was going to get in trouble for things. Like, you know, if you go the wrong way down a one-way street or something, that someone's going to yell at you. But nobody's okay. gonna, yeah. nobody cares. <laughs> nobody is going to yell at you. No. No, somebody might just stop in front of you and talk for 15 yeah. minutes, you know. Be patient with them, too. Yeah. You know. you know, one of the things about when you brought up Shirley's is that New Orleanians are so passionate about all the restaurants that have closed over the years. Yeah. Since yeah, they've been alive. That. A lot of them since Katrina, but just the older, older ones that, that it's like a part of them is gone. Well, you, you know, you grow up in those, it was, we were very neighborhood yeah, town. Like, you know, all, like at the West End where it had all those places, Fitzgerald's and, oh, yeah, and all Bernays those places. And all, it was yeah. such a cool venue. Well, even some place like the Parkway Bakery, right? which is very popular now, and it has lines down the street and all. But the Parkway Bakery, if you're an old New Orleanian, Parkway Bakery was run by the same two brothers. 
and they started running it in the 40s. And by the time I started going there in the 70s, they were old and they didn't give a darn. <laughs> they would sit there over the grill smoking cigarettes, ashes dangling onto the grill, these big fat bellies hanging over their white shirts, and you'd go in there and they'd be grouchy with you. They'd never be friendly. Yeah. But you would go because they baked the bread on the premises, and even when they stopped baking the bread, it was one of the best roast beef po' boys in town. And you couldn't eat there. There was no tables. It was just mm -hmm. these two old grouchy right. guys in this green booth you would walk into and order from. And I, you know, I, I see the new one, and I'm happy for the guy. He did a great job restoring it. But I, I miss the grouchy old guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to bring back an old restaurant. Yeah. It's, 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 it's old glory. Yeah, well, part of it is, you know, when you look back at it, is I think you're looking back at your youth. Yeah. You know, you're not just remembering the food. You're remembering how great it was to be young and eat mm -hmm. the food. Right. You know. No. Which is part of, I think, what you're plugged into, Sarah, this, this new New Orleanians, which I, I know it's been a debate, but for me, I just, I just love it. I like that people loved us enough to come here. I like that the people that come love what it's supposed to be, which means they make it what it is. And I, th I think that's actually the difference between, um, one of the differences between how Austin changed and, and here is that a lot of people move to Austin just for jobs, and people move here because they love it. Like, you don't live here unless you love it, I, I think. I agree. My experience. So I, I think that that inherently, you know, brings better, you know, a better, like, better energy. energy. Yeah. Well, I was asked in an interview two years ago, did I think the new people were changing New Orleans? And I just said, this is a, a debate that's been going on that I don't buy into because... For 300 years, America's been trying to change New Orleans. And yeah. you don't change New Orleans. We change you. Yeah. You know, you, you come here with your ideas of working hard and your industry and your kale. And then we take what we like. <laughs> you know, we tell, oh, that's a great idea. We'll use that. And we'll take the kale and the rest of it you can keep. And then we give you too much to eat and too much to drink. And you wake up in the morning with a hangover and an empty wallet. And we say either have another drink or leave town. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and people sort of figure it out. And I think that they... We don't change. You don't change New Orleans. We change you. We soften you. Mm -hmm. we, we, we bring out what you love, and we chip away at what you don't need, I think. I really believe that. I think, it's what, I think it's what makes us special. I think that America was settled by Protestant Puritans, mm -hmm. and New Orleans was settled by decadent French Catholics. Yeah. And that vibe has never changed. Changed the fabric of, yeah, of how it is. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're, I agree. You're, well, you're the embodiment of it as a chef. You know? <laughs> sort of, yeah, you're providing decadence uh, been, for yeah. people. <laughs> I've been very fortunate that I chose this field in yeah. this city. Or it chose me, actually. I like that you said that earlier. It chose you. It did. Did you feel okay. that way about uh, what you do? Mm, I mean, it definitely something clicked into place. I think I was, I think I was one of those kinds of people who was very, like, did a lot of different... I still do, like love to do a lot of different things and didn't know how it all fit in together like went to college for one thing and then started doing something else and then I'm like oh maybe I'll do this and I am still like that but for me like circus as well as teaching yoga kind of brought it all together and made clicked for me made a little more sense and teaching is something I, I, I certainly realized that I loved through those things do you feel like yoga I mean this is how I feel about it and 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 I, I only know a little bit about it but it feels like the, the sort of great Unifier, Like if you can take the basic tenets of yoga, which are breathing, stretching, being pliable, and apply them to being a chef, 
or to being an aerialist or to being a songwriter that you can maintain that sense of balance needed to be needed to excel in any of those things we were talking before the broadcast about how yoga and the thought of yoga changing your posture as a chef mm -hmm. made it easier to, to stand the long hours mm -hmm. and I think that as a singer you breathing yeah. and control of your breathing control of right. your mindset control of your center is all really valuable do you do you feel like the, the yoga feeds the rest of what you do? Oh, for sure. And I, I think like I think you're exactly right. I think, you know, you were saying Ashtanga is a very you know physically kind of oriented yoga, but I think part of that is 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 being this. It's the practice of pushing you out of your comfort zone, but still maintaining maintaining your breath and maintaining your calm, and that has been like a life changer for me. And not even trying, just through doing that practice, and I realize that. It's helped me at being a server or being a performer or just, just having that kind of groundedness and um, just, it, it, you know, it somehow magically <laughs> is able to translate into making you a more, you know, just, just like confident, grounded, easygoing person, I think. Ideally, it can also accentuate, you know, people's aggressiveness and things like that, but we try to, you know, help people through that I feel that what's helped me with yoga the most is patience yeah because it teaches you patience totally it teaches you how to be patient with your body and if you can be patient with your body then you can be patient with other people exactly and have a sense of humor and be like why am I trying to do this crazy thing anyway what you know and just not taking yourself too seriously all those things are yeah and then that informs you know whatever you do I think it's really important yeah. I'm sure there's other ways to learn it but for me it was through through that way um, yeah. Our musical guest today was going to be Jim McCormick. He had to cancel on us last second, and this would have been a musical segment here. So I felt obliged to give a, a little bit of musical segment. So this is a song I just wrote. It's called He Ain't Here. We're sitting here without our friend named Jim. And I sure wish we could get a song from him. But he made it perfectly clear He didn't want wine, sangria, or beer No, Jim can't sing Cause he ain't here There you go. That was our musical <laughs> nice. segment. Um, awesome. I just looked up Thank the... You. I just wanted to, before I forgot, I looked up the event for Happy Land Theater because I did such a bad job oh, good, of representing good. it before. But it's actually... It's um, Saturday, April 2nd at 7 p.m., 3126 Burgundy Street and it, if you go to happylandtheater.com you can find out more about it. It's just going to be a great event and just kind of exactly what I'm talking about, it, just a good collaboration of between artists. There'll be some food booths as well and art vendor you know, artists, local artists and things like that. And, you, and is that the next time you're performing? I'm not performing in it I'm stage managing but I'll be there but, um, but When's the next time folks could see you? Uh, April 8th and 9th we're doing our an encore performance I can't talk, it's that margarita I drank, the encore performance of Vade de Grave, which is something we put on during Mardi Gras, but um, we're doing it again at that same theater at Happy Land Theater, April 8th and 9th. Excellent. And uh, folks can catch you every night, Tuesday through Saturday at Mr. John's Steakhouse. I want to come and do that. I want to come and surprise you. That's great. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, thank you. I had a great time talking you know, with both of you about uh, what you do and then about New Orleans, and uh, I thank you for being here and making it easy for me to be host. Our producer is Graham DuPont. Our associate producer and technical director is Chris Kehoe. Our music director is Christian Unruh. 
And the theme music for the show is played by Mitch Foreman. I uh, had a great time doing this. And if you'd like to be on the show, drop us a line. Our address is on our website. Check out our other happy hour and other shows, Out to Lunch, uh, which is uh, recorded live at Commander's Palace, True to the Game with Chris True, Midnight Menu Plus One with Margot Moss and the man who ate New Orleans, Ray Canada, Louisiana Eats with Poppy Tooker, I love Poppy, and Milo's Music Parlor with Kim Vu, the podcast about death, Death the Podcast with psychologist Dr. Arian Alphant. You can also find other great Louisiana podcasts at itsacadiana.com and itsbatonrouge.la. Keep up with us on Facebook, Twitter, and a bunch of other time-sucking social media. On all of it, we're It's New Orleans. You can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com, taken by our friend Allison. Uh, our, and on our Facebook page, uh, Allison Moon did a great job, and she also uh, made us laugh in between uh, wait for the show to get started. If you're listening to this on iTunes, Stitcher, or another bo- podcast app, thanks for subscribing. Take a moment to rate and review us. That helps other people find the show. We recorded live today at Wayfair on Ferret Street while we were drinking beer, sangria, and margarita, and eating a uh, delicious order of French fries fried in duck fat. You might have heard us munching and scraping paper. Uh, Happy Hour is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com. I'm Paul Sanchez. I really enjoyed being here today on Happy Hour and speaking with both of you. So thanks, Sarah, and thanks, Robert. And uh, let's uh, have another drink and get back out there in the world. Mm-hmm.